Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 138 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Our new product has finally launched and I'm focusing on oxalic acid treatments and how best to achieve a varroa-free winter. Beekeeping Short and Sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. The cat, as they say, is completely out of the bag now, and our new products, a range of beeswax food wraps, has finally hit the website this week. I have to say, I'm somewhat relieved and totally exhausted. November was a totally bonkers month work-wise. Taking on a new project becomes all-encompassing for me and I find I really have to focus hard on it to get through to the finishing line. It's not just the physical process of making the wraps, that's actually one of the easier parts of the process once the trial and error of production is completed, but it's the whole setup of the unit, building a new table to work on, getting all the equipment together and setting up some kind of production line. That seems to be where all the stress and hard work kicks in. And then, of course, there's the website pages that need to be sorted. All fine if you happen to know your way around your website and play with it on a regular basis. But it's been a while for me. And as I'm head of website design and technology too, it did take a while to get back into the swing of things. One of the fun parts was taking the photographs for the website not because I love still life studio photography, but because I had to buy a heap of cheese, bread, pastries and fruit as props. Lunch has been very enjoyable this week. So now that the new products have been set up and launched, it's time to get selling. I'm hitting social media as hard as possible. Obviously, with the help of Katie, we've been posting pictures of the new wraps in action, and I think they look really professional even though I say so myself. You really wouldn't know they were taken on a mobile phone but they really are. Thanks to everyone for your lovely comments about the wraps and to those of you who have bought some already. There are a couple of discount codes set up for patrons so if you're looking for a late Christmas present check out the Patreon page for details. I would think most beekeepers, to be honest, would probably have a go at making their own beeswax wraps if you're making just one or two. They aren't that difficult. My target audience is the non-beekeeping public who appreciate what us beekeepers are trying to do and who want to reduce their reliance on single-use landfill products such as cling film. If I can ask you to share any of my posts to the wider public, I'd really appreciate it. I'm sure you're all feeling the change in the weather this week. We've had frosts and the daytime temperatures have dropped to, I guess, more seasonal averages. Single-digit daytime temperatures of around 8 or 9 degrees centigrade. That's around 46 degrees Fahrenheit. No snow as yet, but we live in hope. They do say we may get some sleet showers on Friday. That's today. I think the phrase is, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Talking of which, it's only a few weeks away, unless of course you're not a patron, in which case we're past Christmas and heading into the new year. I'm very excited for Christmas. It signals a very special time as a major calendar moment that says the new beekeeping season isn't too far away. 
I appreciate Christmas is much more significant to a lot of people than that, but well, I'm kind of a beekeeping nut and everything fits around the beekeeping calendar for me. The time of year also gives us a chance to assess if we're on Santa's naughty list and what we can expect to see under the Christmas tree by way of perfect presents for the beekeeper. I was asked last night what I would like as a Christmas present for this year and without hesitation I said I'd like a new bee suit please. You should have seen the look I got. I think it's called withering. Needless to say it looks like I'll have to speak to James at BB Wear and make my own purchase this time round. I sometimes think others can't understand that pretty much everything I do does revolve around my bees even though it's also my work. The other challenge is trying to look outside the blinkers of beekeeping to see what else there might be that's going to see more than a couple of days of daylight before being put back in a box and hidden in the loft or under the stairs. I've had a few of those presents in my time, like the sausage-making machine, but that's another story entirely. The main thrust of today's podcast is to chat about my winter oxalic acid treatments and how this may or may not affect next season. I've always used oxalic acid treatments in winter and do believe they work really well in reducing the overall number of varroas in the hive to such a point as to weaken the population to that point that they can't grow so vigorously through the season to cause serious damage to the colonies while they are at their biggest strongest foraging capacity. Just to recap on the treatments that I use, autumn treatments usually take the form of an Amitraz product, either Apitraz or Apivar. These go into the hive around August for about six to eight weeks. This is followed up traditionally between Christmas and New Year with the oxalic acid treatments. I'm changing this particular routine a little this year, but more of that in a moment. Before I get too far into this discussion, I should also say... I'm not suggesting that my way is the right way or the best way and that everyone should blindly follow what I do. It's a routine that has, for the most part, kept the vast majority of my honeybee colonies free from high levels of varroa that ultimately lead to severe health issues for those colonies. I do seem to occasionally have a colony that, for whatever reason, don't shake off higher populations of mites and these inevitably suffer during the main flow of the summer as the mite population builds exponentially. For the vast majority of colonies though, my routine seems to work and I've been fairly happy with it over the years. So why change now I hear you ask? Well, I like to think that I'm always learning and would never assume that I've got the whole beekeeping thing sussed and recently I've been spending time looking at my routine in the light of other beekeepers practices notably some of my fellow bee farmers here in the UK and also bee farmers around the world. Let me pick apart my routine and explain. Imagine we're at the end of July and just taken off the main summer crop of honey. This happens anywhere between the last week of July and the second week of August normally depending on when the flow finishes. And as I've said before in other podcasts, it's like turning a tap off for me here in Norfolk. One day there's blackberries in flower and nectar coming in, the next it all stops. Once the honey comes off, the Amitraz treatment goes in. Let's assume it's the first week of August. This usually means the colonies get a full eight weeks through August and September. 
I normally start feeding somewhere in September and continue this through October. So the Amitraz does its thing and gets rid of a high percentage of mites. If it works well, as high as 98 or 99% of all mites, good news. It does, however, leave behind a potential remaining population, if not dealt with, that could build up over the winter months into the spring and do untold damage to the developing colony in the new season, with the new mite population growing so fast that the beekeeper then has to take action or potentially lose a collapsing colony. I know because it's happened to me, and I have lost colonies in years gone by. This is why I treat with oxalic acid sublimation between the autumn treatment and the start of the new year. And so far, I would say it's been a very successful routine overall. The main point here is that the oxalic acid winter treatment is only effective against phoretic mites. Those are the mites that are exposed to the treatment and on the backs of bees, as it were. Oxalic acid doesn't penetrate the wax cells, so any mites that have managed to find their way into a capped cell will be protected. So the challenge for the beekeeper is to find a moment in time when the colony is broodless, and for most of us, that's sometime between the end of the summer flow and the start of the new season, about six months of the year. Ever felt like it's a case of pin the tail to the donkey? Maybe we could put up a calendar on the wall and throw a dart at it. Perhaps that would be more accurate. I really don't want to pull apart colonies in the middle of the winter months and check for brood to destroy before treating the bees, but maybe that's the only way to be sure. If I'm honest, I think this year I've missed the boat. Checking colonies for food during October, I found a large number of colonies that were broodless. I should have jumped in at that point and treated with the sublimator. But for various reasons, mostly time constraints and other projects, I didn't. So where does that leave me? Well, let's assume that all my colonies follow the traditional pattern of brood nest size, growing up in the summer, dropping back down in the winter as the colony transitions to a winter bee population. This is the point I usually treat with Amitraz products. The summer population of mites has built up, the brood nest is now drastically reducing, so there should be plenty of mites exposed to the Amitraz. If I get 98% of all mites, it leaves a small population of mites to begin with and start building up for next year. I'm beginning to think that this is the time to get in and treat with the oxalic acid, not leaving it until the Christmas holidays. Here's what I'm thinking, and let's for the moment say I have a population pre-Amitraz treatment of 1,000 mites. I wouldn't have thought that would be too far off in some instances after the summer. The 98% destruction leaves me with around 20 mites or thereabouts. I've chosen 1,000 mites as the figure, so you can scale it up or down easily and make a comparison. 20 mites left alone to reproduce for a couple of months until the traditional oxalic acid treatment at Christmas could lead to a significant increase in mite population. If a mite dives into a worker cell prior to it being capped, we all know a worker cell is usually capped around day 8 or 9, so that leaves around 13 days for the adult worker to emerge. A varroa mite may hang around for a few days before diving back into another worker cell, let's say 6 or 7 days, just for example's sake. And if you look at the 
period between removing the Amitraz treatment at the end of October and the oxalic acid treatment sometime towards the end of December, we've got around 60 days of potential breeding time for the mites. And that could be around three life cycles, let's say. Just hold that thought for a moment. I need to go get a coffee. So I have 20 varroa mites left after my Amitraz treatment and they're all going to breed. I'm painting a worst case scenario here with the numbers that I have. Now, I know technically not all the developing varroa in the cell will reach maturity and I am painting an apocalyptic scenario. However, let's say that we get a couple of mature females out of each cell on each cycle. That's an additional 40 mites after the first breeding cycle. And don't forget the original mother mites can reproduce multiple times. So that could be as many as 60 mites. What if all of those reproduce and we have another couple of mature mites emerge from the second breeding cycle? That's 60 mites plus 120 mites. The population is now 180 after two cycles. One more breeding cycle and we have 180 mature adult female mites producing a couple of matures each. That's 180 plus 360. We've now got a total of 540 mites in just a couple of months. Now I know I'm exaggerating and the likelihood is only one mature female may emerge from each cell, but I hope you're seeing just how quickly a population can explode. Now I know the boat has sailed and the horse has bolted prior to shutting the gate, but if I could find a broodless period in October or November, maybe I can knock back the population to such a small number it takes all season for them to build up again. What happens if I find that magical broodless period in late October? Well, my 20 varroa mites lose around 98% of their lowered population. That leaves just one or two mites at best, or worse, depending on if you're the beekeeper or a varroa mite. Two mites developing over winter may build their population to eight or ten mites if they're lucky before they get through to spring. Compared with thousands in the untreated colony, or if I treat at Christmas, I may reduce the mite population from 540 mites to a dozen, which again is going to build up over January, February and March to quite high numbers of mites again. Now in practice, I'm not seeing such doomsday numbers of mites in the spring, so the treatments are obviously doing a good job. But if I could reduce the numbers of mites further by treating with oxalic acid a little earlier in the winter, then why on earth wouldn't I? I hope that gives you something to ponder. I'm dashing out to grab my Provap sublimator and get out treating. So until next week, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Yeah.